awesome, 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 awesome. So I think one of the best things that you can say about a church is that what's going on can be explained by more than good organization. Um, and I was, I mean, uh, from the moment when we started praying earlier on in the morning and the worship, I was just like, God is here. Um, and I hope you have an aspiration like mine that is to be more than just successful, but to partner with God in changing the world. God's presence is non-negotiable. So let me, let me pray um, because I have uh, the habit of rabbit trailing. <laughs> And the Holy Spirit will help me bring it in. Um, Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you that you desire to say some things to our hearts this morning. And we, we bring our hearts and we say, Jesus, we're serious about you. We're serious about your kingdom. And we, we really want to hear you. Would you speak? Would you give us grace to listen? Amen. So, I get to be a part of this uh, The Art of Neighboring series. And this is one of those words which I think challenges but really, really, really encourages me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive right in. Do you have a favorite quote? Some of you guys do, some don't. But I have a favorite quote, and it's been my favorite quote since I think I was, since I was 22, which was last year. No. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, wow, you're not supposed to laugh that hard. <laughs> you're supposed to be like, no, you look 25. No, I don't. Um, so it's this, the local church is the hope of the world. And let me, it's by Bill Hybels, and let me read some more of that quote. It says, there is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. Come on, bro. The church is breathtaking when the church is being the church. And this series on, on the art of neighboring is, is, is a provocation for us to be the church. And uh, I want to say up front, my goal in life, and I hope Jesus' goal as well, is that you won't leave here being informed, but you, your life will be changed. That you, you won't go back to life as normal. Um, I know I, I can't stir you up into that, but I believe the Holy Spirit can, and I believe Jesus will give us fresh marching orders today. You know, one of the things I, I love about looking back at the church history and looking at the church in general and just reading about the church around the world is I, I realize something very simple. And when I say the church, I don't mean the church. I mean you, me, every, all of us here is this. When the church is being normal, when we're really being ourselves, we do radical things for other people. 
There's demonstrations of radical love. We're not the go-through-the-motions kind of people. That has never been the church. You know, there were, even in the early church, one of the things that happened, there was this uh, ruler in Rome who was so frustrated, and he said, these Christians, they keep taking in our orphans, they keep... And there was, there was a plague, and people fled the city, and the Christians stayed because they said, if we leave, who will look after the people who are dying? Yeah. It's, it's, that's us. And, and, and sometimes we kind of go through the emotions and we forget that that is who we are. You know, sometimes you go through this mundane world and you feel like you're, uh, you know, you're just, you're just like everyone else. Can I be honest with you? You're not just like everyone else. You are not. I am not just like everyone else, no matter how ordinary I feel. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be speaking about a radical kind of neighboring, a radical kind of love. But I, I, just, wanna, I just want us to, to realize this. Let's get to the scripture. Luke 10, verse 25 to 37. Let's read. Um, and this is Jesus speaking. Oh, this is, about, this is a story about Jesus. And, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, this is Jesus. Uh, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you'll live. You should quit while you're ahead, but this is what happens next. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, and when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which was money, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said. He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now, you may have been told at school, especially for the younger people, that there's no such thing as a bad question. They are bad questions, and they are very bad questions. Now, as a pastor, you get to hear bad questions. They normally start with something like this. You know, I was praying, and da, da, da. Or me and a friend were just chatting. Or... So many other things. And you know what? The, you know at the heart of the question, before I would immediately just answer the question and just go, you know, oh, this is, this is what I think, this is... But I've come to realize that sometimes behind the question is really a desire to justify something that we've already decided we want to believe or we want to do, and we're looking for other people to support what we probably shouldn't believe or do. And uh, I wonder if you noticed the two really bad questions in there. I mean, it's like scripture highlights it. You see the neon sign. Bad question, bad question. Um, 
I'll, I'll read this. Verse 25 says, An expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. So that was the heart of his question. The second one, verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, who is my neighbor? You see, he's testing Jesus rather than listening to Jesus. And he's coming to justify himself rather than receiving Jesus' words and obeying and walking it out. He's coming, to, he's coming to test Jesus rather than to listen to Jesus. And he's coming to justify himself rather than to receive Jesus' words, words and obey them. Can I be honest, even me speaking here, as I'm sharing this message, there is a real danger of us hearing and our heart's motive being, oh, let's test Jesus and let's justify ourselves. It sounds so odd for me to say that. Is it possible to use the Bible to do bad things? It absolutely is. If that is your motive, you see, often... This, this guy wasn't the first. The religious leaders of that day spent their lives actually testing Jesus and justifying themselves. Often they would have all these confrontations and Jesus was constantly being like, guys, you, you can't be like this. This was the biggest problem with them because ultimately they didn't come to hear Jesus' words and respond. And that's the danger of a religious environment. You know, uh, an environment like this is amazing. But... Sometimes have you gone to a Bible study where you go and you open the scriptures and, and the entire Bible study is, I think, I think, I feel, my opinion, and at no point do we go, what is Jesus asking of us? What does he want? Guys, can I, can I say Jesus has a plan for us and it's a good plan. But sometimes it won't be just stay in your comfort zone. Jesus is not... So he's not so caught up in us justifying ourselves. He really wants to speak to our hearts. And can I ask that even as I speak today, you'll hear some things which you know. But the question is not, do I know this? Do I agree with this? The question is, am I living this? Is this the reality of my life? You know, that's where the rubber hits the road. So <laughs> something, I, something that so I've been reading Leviticus. I decided I was just going to take the plunge. Um, <laughs> no, I actually, I, I, love, I love the whole Bible, but I was at that place where I was like, Lord, will you really speak through Leviticus? And he did. I was like, wow, God, you know, <laughs> as we were talking about animal sacrifices, uh, falling in love with Jesus. But, but anyway, I digress. But the, the, I just happened to be reading Leviticus. And I saw the two passages of scripture where this teacher of the law got what he was, got the stuff that he was saying. And I read the context and I was like, oh my goodness. Let me, let, they'll appear there. Let's, let's, read, let's read them. <laughs> so when Jesus says, so he asks, how, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What does the Lord say? He says, love God with all your heart, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Now that second love your neighbor, it's from Leviticus 19. And there's two passages of scripture, but I'll read them slowly because there's something I want you to notice. It says, it says do, you not do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Interesting. First one. Then the second one is Leviticus 19 verse 33. It says, when a foreigner resides among you in the land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. 
I am the Lord your God. Now, what is so stunning about this is that he's going, okay, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm crushing this. And then Jesus goes, okay, let's tell a story about some people. Let's talk about this Samaritan. And he was probably, he probably tensed up as he heard the story was about a Samaritan. You know why? Because the Jews hated the Samaritans. Like hate, hate. Openly. They would call them dogs. It was, there, was, there, was, there was no pretense here. In those days, political correctness hadn't become a thing yet. So they, they hated them with an intense passion. There was this huge grudge. And you know, the worst thing is that Samaritans were Jewish people. Who had, been, who had remained when, when the Israelites had been taken into captivity and they had mixed with the foreigners there. And so somehow, somehow, this teacher of the law, this great student of the Bible, it wasn't the guy who had been saved a week, he was, the, he was teaching Israel how to live. Blatantly, he had read the scripture, he even quoted it, and Jesus was like, you're right. But he had missed the whole heart of it. And his actions didn't, didn't make any sense in light of what he was saying. Right. Now you ask yourself the question, how can someone know the Bible and yet their lives blatantly contradicted? Before we get too hard on him, have you ever left a church service and in that moment, the church service was about how Jesus leaves the 99 to go after the one. And then you're sitting there with your unsaved cousin and your conversation is all about the rugby and you go home and you don't actually care. Speaking about myself. Because sometimes we truly come to the scriptures to test Jesus and justify ourselves. Guys, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of sermons on, on this Good Samaritan. And, you know, they, they, the story tells about the Samaritan who is half dead. And it talks about the, the Levite who goes by and the priest who goes by. And uh, a lot of the sermons have been about why they didn't stop. Now, why, why do you think they didn't stop? You know what the answer is? We don't know because Scripture doesn't tell us. Because... Uh, but, but there are some very good options because priests were not supposed to touch dead bodies. So maybe the priest thought, I need to obey the law. Walked on the other side of the road, walked by. And uh, the Levite, maybe he was going to a religious ceremony and he really needed to get there. He's sure this is a busy road. Someone else will come. Or maybe the fact of the matter is that Jericho Road was dangerous, seriously dangerous. And it was just a stupid thing to get out and help, get off and help. We don't know, but, but you, know, you know what the point is? The simple point is this. For someone who wants to keep their lives the same and not be affected by the need and the suffering of other people, there will always be a fantastic reason to ignore the situation. I'm talking about us. Guys, let's be honest. Most of us are quite busy. I'm busy. You're busy. Most of us have church responsibilities in addition to our normal lives. Most of us live in places where it's very difficult to get to our neighbor next door because people kind of live. Um, some of you guys are in, you've just had a baby. This, you know, you're at an interesting stage of life. You know, it's, we live in Josie. You know, it's like, well, most of us live in Josie. Because um, there are a million reasons 
But the question is not, do I agree that love is a good thing? If, some, if someone like Andrew was to come and spin about love and just talk about love, we'd all be misty-eyed. But the question is not, are we going to be misty-eyed? The question is, do our lives reflect hearing Jesus where he says, go and do likewise? Because, you know, the guy was, the, this Levite was happy to talk in theory. Christian theory, a sermon on this, me talking right now. Guys, I hope you don't go, that was, that was a well-spoken sermon. I don't care. The idea is, what is Jesus talking to you? And will you move? Will you not allow a reason to keep you back? Now, here's the real key. The key to good neighboring. I'm going to read that passage of scripture again. Well, the second part of it, starting from verse 13. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he walked on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? We can state the obvious. Here was a demonstration of sacrificial love. I mean, he put him on his own doggy. We can state the obvious that he was crossing cultural boundaries, someone who would have hated him. We can state the obvious that it, he gave money, it cost him financially, it cost him in time. It was seriously, seriously inconvenient. I mean, he was going somewhere. He had to stop and completely adjust his schedule. All of these things are obvious from this story. It's talking about a certain kind of love. A certain kind of love. But I wonder if you noticed, and I didn't know this until I started preparing for this message, the absolute genius of Jesus' story. Now, Jesus could have told the story, but he didn't, about a Samaritan who was lying at the side of the road. And a Jew came by, what would you do? And the guy would have gone, uh, 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 uh. But he didn't. Who was the person who was lying in the gutter, hoping someone would come and help him? feeling his life ebbing away, realizing that if someone didn't help him, this was the end for him. Who was that person? It was the Jew. See, all of a sudden, the story changes. Now, this guy is not thinking, who is my neighbor? Where are the limits for how much I can love? He's going, how would I want to be loved in this situation? Guys, you know, that's a popping question. It sounds so small. But do you know that Jesus said that the whole Old Testament law and prophets hinged on these two things, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. He literally said that. This is why. You know, when I, when I, before I was a Christian, um, I don't think I ever heard the gospel properly. One of the stunning things when I became a Christian was, why did no one ever tell this to me? And I can tell you what. I know sometimes it's inconvenient to share the gospel. Sometimes we get resistance. You know what? When I was an unbeliever, if you ask me, regardless of the risk of all of those, would I want someone to share the gospel to me, with me? I'd be like, is that even a question? 
as I was reading this, I was challenged because there's this guy called Sam in my complex. And um, every time I pass by, I'm like, Sam and I have, have stuck up a good friendship. And when I'm going to church, I tell him, oh, Sam, I'm going to church. Da, da, da. And I'm, I'm sowing seeds and all of these things. And I, and I realized I've been doing this for like months. And I thought, you know, and, and it's, it's been fun. I'm like, I'm dropping seeds and stuff like that. And then I thought, when I was a non-believer, would I have wanted someone to come out and say it? And that changed everything. I'm like, absolutely. Even if I was a bit stubborn, and I would have been stubborn, I'm pr I promise you. I still wanted someone to speak. Friends, how many of your, of your family members, or your cousins, or your next door neighbors, have never heard about the love of Jesus? Because you're unwilling to be sacrificial, because it might be awkward. Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm just describing my heart, by the way. Um, yeah. Maybe you've been asking the wrong question. Maybe the question is not, how will it make you feel? Maybe the question is, if that was you, mm -hmm. what would you want to happen? You know, I had a friend who, went, who moved to a, a, a city, and he, I saw him about a year later, and I was like, how is it going? And he's like, it's terrible. I've been working at this church for a year now, and no one has invited me for dinner. Fair enough. That's a problem. And then I was like, who have you invited for dinner? And he was like, um, I'm sort of a bit, and then I stopped and I gave up. Friends, you notice? Uh, we're strategy people. We love a strategy. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll form a group here, and we'll do this, and we'll do that. Can I say that from the beginning of the church, you know that when the church started, they had no strategy? They, what, you know what they had? They had love your neighbor as yourself. They, they had experienced the love of Jesus so much that naturally they realized the kind of people they were. You know, we, we're like, oh, we want to fill this place, guys. A strategy helps. But can I tell you what? You know the biggest problem for me? It's deep down, we often haven't caught this. As long as we're like, oh, these are my boundaries. You know, we, we have this thing about personal space, personal property, me time, all of those things. And guys, there's a legitimate place for all of that. But when we start hearing Jesus, what's at stake? When we start hearing the kind of love, when we start genuinely thinking about what it looks like if we were in the situation of someone else, what we would like. Do you know, I, I moved to Pretoria, and I'll just be very honest with you. When I moved, the first two months, I was like, I had people around me, so, sort of, at work, at church, but no one really knew me. And I would go home and I'd be like, what are we going to do now? Okay, you know, a little bit of Bible reading. I'm bored of YouTube. I was like, you know what I would have loved? One person to go, I see you. I know what you're feeling. Come to my house for dinner. Come, let's, let's run together. I'm going to end with this thought. I would have liked that. But the greatest opportunity is my lounge now. I'm like, no one is going to feel how I felt. Because now I'm thinking about people from the point of view of if it were me. Mm -hmm. yeah. Guys, 
It's not like, oh, what opportunity do I look, need to look for? The people are there. They're in your world. The reality is we're still often thinking about what do I want? We're not going, how? What would I want if I were them? Once you start thinking that, it'll be like one of those movies where, you know, you suddenly, eyes light up and you see opportunities all around. You know, you see through walls and, guys, I promise you they're there. If you thought in this message I'd give three points and go, well, no, no, no. Here's what I want to end with. What is Jesus saying to you? How is he asking you to adjust? How is he saying you can be a neighbor to someone else? How is he saying you can notice someone? Because, you know, I think it's a... Tr- I, I, when, I, when I moved to Pretoria, I visited a whole bunch of churches. And it's a, you know what the travesty of justice is? Churches are, some churches are unfriendly places. Because they're filled with unfriendly people. Those unfriendly people do not know what it's like to be a visitor arriving. They haven't, that's not in their hearts. But that's not you. Jesus has come into your world, if you're a Christian, for the very reason, and he's loved you when you were beside the road so that you can be that to someone else. So as I pray now, I just want you to say, Jesus, I'm not going to justify myself. I'm not going to find all the reasons why I can't. I'm simply going to say, yes, Lord, and by your grace, I will. Lord Jesus, thank you for the fact that we have been loved by you. We've been rescued from the ditch at your cost. There was nothing you were not willing, there was no price you were not willing to pay. Lord Jesus, would you soften our hearts where we've been hard-hearted and self-centered and we've thought that you were putting a stamp on it. Lord Jesus, today we repent and we say, help us to be like you. Help us to be the kind of church which you would smile and say, that's my love being poured out. Oh, Jesus, I pray where there are specific areas, where you're calling us to open up our homes, where you're calling us to be those who invite. I pray we would hear you today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Bless you guys. Guys, as we, as, we, as we close, um, thank you, Fifi. That was amazing. Can we give him another hand? I feel like I, I, want, I want us to do a little bit of business. Seeing as I didn't preach the, preach the message, I can be, come and be the, the one who hammers at home. But what I would love you to do is right now just, just close your eyes and ask the Lord this. Lord, give me... Give me an idea, put into my mind or into my heart someone that I can reach out to, someone that I can show the love of God to. So I'm going to ask you right now, Holy Spirit, would you come and show us people? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, I pray one more thing. That as we are, we are picturing these people that we can reach out to, Lord, I ask that you would put courage in our heart and you would put wisdom in our heart.
Lord God, I pray that you would, you would give us, I'm scared to say strategy, but I'm going to say it anyway. Is that okay, Pastor Fifi? <laughs> would you give us a strategy? Would you give us, give us something to do? Maybe they need an invitation. Maybe they need food. Maybe they need, maybe they just need friendship. Maybe they need a phone call. Lord God, show us what they need and what we can, what we can contribute to the work that you are doing in their lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. And then the last thing I'm going to pray is this. Holy Spirit, I just pray for a download of your power, a download of your presence. Lord God, I pray that as we interface with them, uh, things would come to our minds that are not our own wisdom, Lord God, but are your wisdom. I pray that as we interface with them, Lord God, a love would well up in our hearts that wasn't just our own love, but it was your love. Lord God, I ask I ask that finances would come to us, gifts would come to us, resources would come to us, that we would be effective in reaching our neighbors, as loving our, our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand again. Can we all stand? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen and amen. Church, go and live the life he's given you. Go and, go, go and, go and fill your environment with the love of Christ because that's who we are. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a glorious day.